Talk Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. Live from Israel. 77 WABC. about our hotel, then again, I, um, I fall short of saying exactly where I'm staying. Some people have found out, but I'm not going to say it. But, for example, we go for breakfast every morning at about 7 a.m. local time in Israel. That's midnight back home. And uh, it's usually me and Gabriel and Danielle and Ava come later. But there's a thousand kids, a thousand of them. And I see the same kids every morning. So I'm not that smart. I go to the guy downstairs. I go, what are all these kids doing here in this hotel? So it turns out that a lot of the folks that have been relocated. Yeah, they're displaced families. Displaced families. Right. Are living in our hotel. Yeah, my aunt and uncle were bringing me up to, or bring that, brought that up to me, I should say, the other night. And kind said, of like the migrant crisis yeah. in New York, except these, and not to talk badly about some of these migrants. Don't get upset, you liberal jerk-offs. Some of them are good people. Some aren't. But it's kind of the same thing. Of course. Now yeah. you're in a hotel vacationing mm-hmm. or working, and there are families living there. Yep. But uh, these are cute kids. Yeah. Good people. I scared the hell out of one kid this morning. Well, because yeah, he doesn't speak English, and you were telling him he has a booger that is oh. hanging from his nose. Well, he had a big booger. Yeah, but you don't have to yell at the kid to get his booger. <laughs> well, well, I didn't see a parent, so I well, had to tell the uh, kid. So now you have to assume that position. You have to assume <laughs> well, the role of this random Israeli kid's parent. Yeah. Got I'm it. like, uh, hey, kid, you got a big booger in your nose. <laughs> the kid looked horrified. <laughs> yeah. And Gabriel was like, Dad, stop talking to him. He doesn't know who you are. He thinks you're crazy. Yeah. I'm like, Gabe, I can't let this kid walk around with a big glob of booger mm. hanging out of his nose. Right. So and, I got uh-huh, up, uh-huh. and I was going to walk over, because mm-hmm. you know me. Yeah, and, and get and it And just yank this booger out of his nose. See, that's and disgusting. It was recommended that I don't do that. You don't touch other kids. Right. That's yeah. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Curtis. Uh, Curtis may have done that. I've seen Curtis feed the homeless on the streets of New York. I mean this. The subways on the streets of New York with his own fingers literally stick food in the homeless people's mouths, which is every bit as gross as pulling a booger out of some young kid's nose in Jerusalem. Curtis, good morning, buddy. How are you? Uh, just enjoying my breakfast uh, with your uh, conversation <laughs> with Justin <laughs> Alec about boogers and me uh, sticking food down the throats of homeless people. But I got to stop for a second. You talked about all those children. Let me let me go back to Gnome's daddy, Carl, age 93. It's too bad that Sid, with all, all the traveling you and your family are doing to see the Holy Land for the very first time, you won't have a chance to stop at Haifa, right on the Mediterranean. I think it's the third largest city when I was there in Israel. And it goes right on up to Mount Carmel. A lot of Arabs, about 25% of the population are Arabs. But I will tell you this. And let me just say this. Since we've been here two days ago, there was one of those 25% of Arabs who got out of his car a couple of days ago with an axe, tried to commit a terrorist act, and they shot him dead Right outside his car. Oh, yeah. And uh, there have been suicide bombings there before in restaurants, uh, on the buses, over 100 dead uh, after the second intifada. That's when I was there. 
But I will tell you, I was in the section there, mostly Arab section, called Abbas. And there is an oil refinery nearby, one of these huge oil refineries, like you would see on the New Jersey Turnpike, you know, the old Hess refinery on your way going south. And it is uh, the largest in Israel. And it's only 80 miles from the Lebanese border. And in Lebanon, Hezbollah has 150,000 rockets trained on Israel. They want to obliterate Haifa because it's got chemical uh, containers there. It's the industrial hub of Israel. Imagine 150,000 sophisticated, many of them long-range, far more powerful rockets than anything Hamas has. And they're all trained to obliterate Israel and take out Haifa. The last time they they poured missiles into Haifa, half the population had to flee. Carl did not. 93 years old. Noam, I salute your dad, Carl, who never surrenders, who never retreats, who never runs. Braver than any damn Jew here in America who like, oh, my God. Oh, oh, Saddam Hussein was sending Scud missiles into Israel. Oh, I'll never go to Israel. I'm so afraid. That's, That's a true. man's man, yeah. Noam Layden's dad. Now, now, in terms of geography, Curtis, because you seem to know Israel as well as Brooklyn. You're an amazing guy. You really are. Uh, those towns that Hamas attacked in the south, okay, Gaza and just north of that, they are right there on the water where Tel Aviv is, too. When you go north of Tel Aviv, that's when you hit places like Haifa, uh, Netanya. And when you stay north, just north, not northeast, not northwest, stay north, that's when you hit places like Beirut in Lebanon, yes? Absolutely. And remember, after the Second Lebanon War, in which this is after Ehud Barat retreated and took back the 10-mile buffer zone, and made it even easier for Israel to be attacked by Hezbollah. And, you know, their, their leader, Nasrallah, who looks like the Dark Lord of Sith, you know, Palpatine. <laughs> you know, I destroy the state of Israel. Yeah, yeah it, Israel knows its enemy is Iran. Hezbollah does not exist without the Ayatollahs in Iran. And, again, they have said if we can only get two bombs made in our nuclear development uh, program deep in the mountains, we're going to drop one on Israel. Now, Israel will pour like half of its 80 nuclear weapons, right? They they will turn Iran into a glass highway. But remember, they cannot be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. I said it yesterday. I'll say it again. BB will be out as soon as there's an election. BB, if there's one thing left you do, you must attack the nuclear weapons development system that is deep and buried in the mountains of Iran. You must do what Menachem Begin did to take out Saddam Hussein's nuclear weapon capacity. And recently they did in Syria. Bashir Assad was developing nuclear yes, weapons yes. with the North Koreans, and they took him out. You yep. must do that. They are going to pour these rockets into Israel. I think you're right, and that is a genuine anxiety and a genuine fear every day here. And again, I want to make it clear, like I made it to uh, John Katsimatidis, he did a great interview with me yesterday, that they're not afraid. There's a difference between an anxiety and fear and being afraid. No one here is afraid, nobody, but that is certainly in the back of their minds, Curtis, what you just talked about. So, well, let, me mention, let me mention one other yeah. thing. For a lot of our listeners who've never been to Israel, Jews or Gentiles, they probably saw the great movie, I know I did, in 1960, Exodus. 
you know, Paul Newman, Lee J. Cobb talking about the Jews fleeing Europe. You know, most of those boats ended up landing in Haifa. That was the immigration port of entry. And the Brits were trying to snatch them up because they hated the Jews and they hated the state of Israel and put them in concentration camps on the island of Cyprus and prevent them from making their aliyah to Israel. So everyone needs to know the history. Just look at the movie Exodus, right? Everybody probably saw it at one point. Haifa was the place that they would all come in, the point of entry, and Hezbollah in Iran wants to wipe that city off the face of Israel's map. Yep. True. That is all true. So, uh, taking it back to New York, though, Adams versus Adams. I said this early in the 6 a.m. hour back in New York, which, of course, is closer to the 2 p.m. hour here in Israel. But Adams versus Adams is not a fight that Eric is supposed to lose to Adrian. But in this case, not Rocky's wife, Adrian Adams gets the win. Your thoughts? He is Adrian Adams' Maytag. He got his ass kicked up, down, every which way for the city to see. He's got no balls. He he, he's, he can't grow a set. Look, the original vote was 35 to 9. 35 to 9. All he had to do was pick off seven others that were standing there just waiting to be wine-dined and lobbied. Do you know that he never took 10 minutes out of his day to call any of those swing votes? How serious is he about that? All he wants are photo ops. Oh, I'm up in Harlem. I'm in ride-alongs. I'm in my bulletproof vest. This guy does not know how to administer the city. He has no juice in Albany, no juice in Washington. Oh, Joe Biden, give me some money. And now he can't even control any city council members. The only ones who voted with him, the common sense caucus. He couldn't even keep any of his moderate Democrats. The guy is a waste, and all he does is cry. Oh, woe is me. Hey, not woe is you. Woe is us. You see those illegal aliens kicking police ass in Times Square, stomping on them, and they got cut loose. This is a gang assault, pickpocketing, jostling, going into stores, shoplifting, committing crimes, going into people's homes, as you have reported, right in your backyard of Bell Harbor and the Ponset in the Rockaways. And what does the mayor do for his friends, the illegal aliens that he brought in here? Nothing. They get arrested, cut loose, because they're untouchables. Look at that video, Sid. They kicked these two police officers while they were down. They stomped him. It was a gang assault, and they were all cut loose to go back and do it again. Curtis is nobody better. What can I tell you, man? Your reports from back home have been great, and we thank you again for being in studio all morning long. If something does go wrong here, Curtis is on standby to take over, but he comes on every morning. There is nobody who knows more about anything. I don't care if it's Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, Tel Aviv, or the port city of Haifa. Curtis Sliwa knows his stuff. Thank you so much, Curtis. We'll take a short break. Lots more to do on IDF Soldier, Rudy Giuliani, Judge Janine Pirro, Peter King, and more. Wednesday edition, day three of four, live from Jerusalem. Standing tall, and the giant beside him about to fall.
Sit in Friends in the Morning, live from Israel, 77 WABC. Let me tell you, Sid, uh, do you hear any rockets going off? Do you hear any uh, bullets going off? Give me the level of security and the average people walking around Jerusalem, because I've been in Jerusalem. How do the people walking around Jerusalem feel? What is it like? Well, that's a great question, John. And the truth is, no. Uh, the closest we've gotten to rockets here was late in yesterday's show uh, in Tel Aviv, which is about 50 minutes from here. In fact, when you land in Israel, you land in Tel Aviv. 50-minute drive to my hotel in Jerusalem. They did have air raid sirens, and they were firing rockets at Tel Aviv. There's no rockets that have been fired here, John, in Jerusalem for about six weeks now. But uh, could it happen? Sure it could. In terms of the people, uh, John, let me tell you, these are amazing people. You know, lots of people in New York carry guns. Not all of them know what they're doing. The difference here is every kid, male and female, male and female, must serve in the Army. So when you run into a teenager on the street or somebody in their mid-20s, they're carrying guns, and they know how to use them because they've served in the Army. So, look, John. To your point, there is tension. Uh, the folks are still worried. We spent time this morning in Gush Etzion, which is just outside of uh, Bethlehem and just outside of Ephrat. It's about 30 minutes from here, my hotel in Jerusalem. And they get attacked almost every day. People throwing rocks, home invasions, arson fires. So all over the country of Israel, there are attacks. Since we've been here, four attacks, one in Haifa, two in Tel Aviv. Happening every single day, not to the extent, John and Rita, of what we saw down south, obviously back on October the 7th, or what we may see coming up in the north. But there is a lot of tension. There are servicemen all over this city walking around with big guns. I mean, big guns, which makes you feel safe. At the same time, it's kind of intimidating. But I will say this, and I mean this, I don't feel any less safe here, John and Rita, than the two train at about five o'clock in the morning. And that is not hyperbole. That is the absolute Ooh. truth. So far away, doesn't anybody stay in one place anymore? It would be so fine to see your face at my door. Doesn't help to know. Just time away. A little excerpt from the uh, really good interview that John Katsimatidis and Rita did yesterday. I was live on their show, 11.30 p.m. time here in Jerusalem. But it was a great interview. John did a terrific job. That was yesterday. And Carol King, far away. We are far away. We're about 6,000 miles away from where most of you are listening this morning back home in New York City. That is far away. It is time now for the weekly Tunnel to Towers update. My dear friend, the great CEO, Frank Siller, does an amazing job with this this charity. And today's segment spotlights a recipient family from the Foundation's Fallen First Responder Program, Lewis T. 
Take it away. Tunnels to Towers made a commitment long ago to support the families of fallen first responders and has continued to make good on that promise by being there when tragedy strikes. And when tragedy struck the family of Toledo Fire Department firefighter James Dickman, the foundation stepped in to lift an enormous burden off their shoulders and ensure that his sacrifices are never forgotten. While responding to an apartment fire, firefighter Dickman and his crew attempted to save civilians who were trapped inside. Dickman and one of his fellow firefighters were unable to make it out and ultimately perished. He left behind his beautiful wife, Jamie, and two children. Thanks to the generosity of donors across the nation, Tunnel to Towers paid off the mortgage on the Dickman family's home and assured his wife and children they will never have to worry about having a place to live. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget those who have sacrificed life and limb for our safety. Visit T2T.org today and consider donating just $11 per month. That's right, folks. On 9-11, we vow to never forget. Help America keep that promise. Donate just $11 a month to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation at T2T.org. That's T. The number 2T.org, just ahead of a very, very brave Israeli IDF soldier. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best 77 WABC. time in Israel, 7.50 back in New York City. So I made mention earlier to Dove Hyken that my dear friend Yehuda Hanekman, who did really most of the legwork to get us to get to Israel, just an amazing guy, terrific, terrific young man. I love Yehuda, his friend Aaron, and they're putting on this uh, huge barbecue again tonight. They do these about two or three times a week since October the 7th, and they entertain upwards like tonight of 150 IDF soldiers, hamburgers, hot dogs, steaks. I think tonight we've got a DJ. I'm set to speak tonight. It's a very, very big deal. Now, this will be my first time going to one of these barbecues, but I have a feeling my next guest, who's a courageous IDF soldier by the name of Arky Steinman, has been to a bunch of these. In fact, I saw a picture of Arky Steinman wearing a Baltimore Ravens Football jersey, you know, the Ravens, of course, lost at home last week to Kansas City. She's going back to the Super Bowl, so something tells me Arky's got some U.S. roots. 
Here he is, courageous IDF Israeli soldier, Arky Steinman. Arky, good morning, buddy. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing, Sid? I am doing great. First of all, uh, let's start with this. Baltimore Ravens, Jersey, do you have roots back in America? Oh, man. Listen, bad timing about the Ravens. But, yes, you. I might live in Israel. I might be fighting in the IDF. I love my Jewish people, but I still am connected to my American roots, my football team, the Ravens. It was a hard one, but, you know, you still got to stay a fan through everything. No, I agree. I tell you, it's funny talking about football because I know they play uh, soccer here in Israel. They're very good. I know they're great at basketball, but I had no idea that American football had come to Israel. And I landed the other day, and uh, one of the guys goes to me, you see that down there? That is the Bob Kraft football stadium, the guy that owns the New England Patriots. Bob Kraft owns a football stadium, and they play American football right here in Israel. Isn't that true? That is true. That is true. It's mostly Americans who play in that league, but it's true. Listen, football is not so popular here. What they call European football, you know, soccer is the main thing here. But it may be a little bit creeping into society, a little bit. I like that. I like that. So uh, you were supposed to be here live with me and Justin at these JNS studios today in Jerusalem. And Jehuda tells me early this morning, uh, the good news is Arky is still coming on. The bad news is he can't make it because he's been, quote, called back to duty. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, that's right. You know, part of the difficulties of Army life is not knowing what the next day brings, not knowing what the next hour brings, not knowing where you're going to be, when you're going to be, what you're going to be doing. And you just kind of learn to go with the flow, both me my family have to learn. So, um, you know, one second you think you're at home, you're off, you have a few days off, the next thing you know, your commander calls and says, hey, we got a mission for you. We need you to come back. And sometimes that can happen. And when you say a mission for you, I mean, again, you're not going to give up what you're going to do, certainly. But there's so much going on between the battle still going on in the south with Hamas, you know, all this uh, war stuff going on up in the north, obviously with Hezbollah with the real fear that Lebanon is about to unleash something huge. So it's not like it's one isolated area inside this country, Orky, where you can end up. There's a bunch of different spots that you're capable of fighting at any day of the week, right? Exactly, exactly. I'll tell you what my last 115 days have been like. We have been stationed right out of Gaza, and my unit is actually in charge of bringing back soldiers and hostages who have fallen, who have been killed, to make sure that even if it's in the middle of the battlefield, even if there's a raging battle going on, there's bullets flying, we go in, we will make sure to bring the bodies back so that they can get a proper burial. The family can know that they can get closure, that they can, in Judaism, we sit Shiva. These are only things that we can do if we do our job properly. So that's what we've been doing. And when I say mission, I mean, going into Gaza, going into a battle, and making sure that our soldiers and our hostages come back. Oh, my God. What a brave and courageous job you've got. It sounds very similar to a civilian group I'm familiar with. Let's put Arky on hold for a couple of seconds. I want to continue this amazing conversation with very brave IDF soldier Arky Steinman, live from Jerusalem. We'll come back with Arky right after this.
Conversation with IDF soldier Arky Steinman. So, when we left it off moments ago, Arky, I said that what you do, you're back, uh, you were at least for the last 150 plus days in Gaza, really collecting body parts, uh, dead people, uh, civilians, hostages, folks down in Gaza. And I know that back in uh, 1989, after a terrorist attack on a bus in Israel, this group, Zaka, which I guess was formally established after the first Intifada in 1995. They came about, and that's what they do, Zaka. They go into these, into these war zones, and, you know, for folks that never come home, what I, mean, what I mean by that is if they were blown up, for example, they don't find all the body parts, they kind of find the parts and put the bodies back together. Sounds to me that you do something very similar, if not exactly that, no? Yeah, exactly. So what Zaka does is generally... They're involved with terrorist attacks, which means that they are dealing with in Israel. But Zaka soldiers, Zaka are not soldiers. They're not in the army. They have not been trained for warfare. We are Zaka, but we are soldiers. That means that we've all had combat soldier experience, which means that we're actually going into battlegrounds and doing what Zaka does, but under fire. And Zaka does amazing work. They're in the civilian realm. And we're in the battlefield. That's the main difference. But you're absolutely got it. Right. So I got it. So you, you, you are literally, you could be <laughs> returning gunfire while carrying a body out of a very dangerous situation. Yes? Well, it's actually even more scary than that. If we are attacked, we are actually in charge of just taking the bodies. And there are soldiers around us who are there to protect us to the point where we're actually not supposed to fire back because that's not our job. Our job is to focus on what we're doing. So we had missions where, despite the fact we were getting fired at, we just had to continue what we were doing, knowing that the soldiers around us were protecting us. And actually, a couple weeks ago, I went to, last week, I went to the Shiva, the mourning tent of one of the soldiers who was protecting us, who was actually killed on a mission we were at. And I just went there to say, Without your son, went to his parents, without your son, I don't know if I would be here. And just thank them from the bottom of my heart. You know, I've seen some of these examples, Orky. I hate even talking about this because it's so graphic and so grotesque. But, you know, some of these hostages, uh, specifically the German tattoo artist, the very pretty young girl German tattoo artist that was taken from the Nova Music Festival. And I read months later that she was, in fact, dead. They weren't sure she had been decapitated. And they found, I'm not sure they found her torso or her head without the torso. I don't know. But these are the types of things that are, that are being found all over Gaza. Body parts, torsos, heads of some of these hostages that have now been declared dead. And there's a lot of them. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you're right. And um, what's crazy here is that we actually have people who are denying these things, right? They're denying the atrocities of October 7th. They're denying what Hamas is doing with um, the bodies. And, and I can tell you as somebody who was down south right after October 7th doing my job, not in war, but actually in the communities surrounding Gaza, which were peaceful. And all the, all the um, 
the things that people are denying about the beheadings, about the grotesque things, I'm just going to tell you firsthand, they're not myths. They're not rumors. They're true, and I witnessed it with my own eyes. So to even see that the world or people in the world want to deny this, I was living proof that I saw these things. We dealt with beheaded people. It's all true, unfortunately. Uh, not just the hostages, but beheaded soldiers. And uh, I also read stories about some of the sexual deprivation going on there, which included some of these animals, these Hamas animals, slicing off women's breasts as they were raping them and then running around throwing the breasts around like it was a football, uh, slicing off men's penises and putting them in other parts of men's bodies. And these are some of the things I've read, at least, that you've been finding the last couple of months. Yeah, so you know what? The truth is that I feel like there's only so much that the Jewish people can handle, and sometimes we need to take a step back and be like, we know that these things are atrocious. The world needs to hear this right now. But it can get – we get bogged down, people who are sitting at home scrolling through social media. I know the Jewish people in America are scrolling through social media, seeing these stories, hearing these – everything, and and it can be so depressing. So, you know, I try and just be positive and say these things are true, these things are real, but we're doing something about it. Thank God we have an army. Thank God we have a country to try uh, to to answer, as opposed to, let's say, in Jewish history, we never had an answer to these atrocities. This is Arky Stamen, a very, very courageous IDF soldier, joining me live this morning. Arky, I really appreciate it. So yesterday, inside the same exact studios in Jerusalem, JNS Studios, JNS.org, Rachel Goldberg stopped by. She had been on with me once before on a phone. She was in Israel. I was in New York. But yesterday, I sat with Rachel Goldberg for 30 minutes face-to-face. And I can tell you, in a career now that has lasted 25 years, and I've interviewed everybody presidents, entertainers, athletes from Michael Jordan to Tiger Woods. This one yesterday was one of the most emotional and most difficult conversations. It was great, but I ever had in my career. And she wakes up every morning feeling confident that her son Hirsch, who she knows for a fact had the bottom part of his arm after his elbow blown to pieces. She said she's got video of Hirsch being loaded into a, a, a truck by Hamas with bone fragments hanging out of his elbow. Could you imagine a mother seeing that from her son? But these are the realities of some of these hostages that she hopes and we hope are still alive. How do you guys feel about all these hostages that supposedly Hamas still has? I mean, we are doing everything that we can can to get them back, and it doesn't matter. Our specific unit deals with those who have been killed, and we have gone into Gaza to recover bodies of hostages in order to bring them back. So we are literally doing everything. What I'll say is that these last few months have just showed there is extreme darkness and extreme light in this world. And when you see the resilience of the people like Hirsch's mom, Rachel, and you see the barbecues that you're going to see tonight and the people lining up on the streets just to support us, honking when they see our Hummers on the highways. You feel the, the support and the love. And then you just drive 15 minutes and you're in the middle of the hellhole that is Gaza and all of the atrocities that you're speaking. And they're an hour away from each other, but it's the absolute opposite. It's extreme darkness and extreme yep. light.
You know, it, it reminds me, Arky, of 9-11. I was living in New York City. I was in Chelsea. That smoke came right through my windows. And I was one of those people who cheered you on. I would walk to the West Side Highway every morning, and I would cheer all the first responders and fire and cops in their recovery efforts. There was not a lot of bodies to recover, unfortunately. But that's what I did every day. And I was just a civilian. So for you, somebody putting your life on the line literally every day, it's got to be overwhelming. It's got to make you feel like, hey, what I do, even though it's dangerous, quite frankly, deadly, I would not trade it for anything else. Is that fair to assume? Absolutely. When I come out of a mission and I see the people that I'm fighting for and the land that I'm fighting for, the words that come into my mind are, it's all worth it. And when I go into battle, that's what I think about. What is this? What is what is the purpose of all this? And the truth is that there's not even a second of doubt of whether this is worth it, whether this is something I'm willing to put my life on the line for. It is so clear to me and you see it and the truth is that it does kind of feel like after 9-11 i also remember i was a young kid i also remember 9-11 and i could just could you imagine if america had to explain to the world why they weren't wrong for 9-11 why they're not at fault that's what i feel like we're dealing with here which is so crazy it's not only crazy, it's upsetting. I mean, you know, you look at uh, these pro-Palestinian rallies all over my city in New York and people making excuses for these people saying, hey, they're allowed to do it, like, like it's okay. And it's not. These people are advocating for murder. They're disgusting. The whole country, Joe Biden says he feels badly for Israel, yet not in one but two administrations, he has loosened restrictions and basically funded Iran to hold this war against Hamas. So quickly, in the last 60 seconds, are you, as a Baltimore Raven American <laughs> football fan, disappointed with the United States? You know, I want to look inward. I care about my people. I can't look at everybody around me and say, why aren't they understanding? Why aren't they doing the right thing? So I'm looking inward. Where is my inward? My inward is the Jewish people, and I'm looking at the Jewish people and supporters of Israel and lovers of Israel, and I'm seeing them step up, and I'm seeing them voice, and I'm seeing them sending money, I'm seeing them visiting, and I get so inspired by those things that it lets me ignore all the, excuse my words, the bullshit around. (laughs) I love it, Arky. I love you, man. So on the way out, regardless of how long it takes, and even if something, God forbid, erupts up north, And, again, anecdotal, but the folks I speak to are pretty sure something will. You guys may be fighting on a bunch of different fronts for a long time. When it's all said and done, Arky, we, Israel, we are going to win this war, aren't we? Absolutely, absolutely. We are ready for anything. And we are going to win. I'm Yisrael Chai. That's all I have to say. God bless you. Listen, man, just just be safe. I'm uh, I'm upset I get a chance to meet you today, but... I really thank you very, very much for calling in. One of the highlights, really, of my whole week here to speak to a brave guy like you, putting your life on the line every day and doing something as important as you're doing, which is really bringing closure to some of these families who live knowing their, their loved ones are dead someplace else. So God bless you, Arky Stamen. Stay safe. Hopefully somewhere down the road I will meet you. We love you in America, in Israel. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming and showing all your support. Uh, you got it, buddy. Be well. Arky Stamen, and he's going back out there, folks. Here is job. He's got to literally walk into a raging gunfight, a war, a battlefield just to retrieve a body. Man, 
You talk about courage. I don't know. These people here are amazing. We will take a short break and some news from Nome. I'll tell you who else is very courageous. We mentioned 9-11 twice during that conversation. America's mayor, my guy, Rudy Giuliani. We'll talk to Rudy Giuliani and Peter King coming up this hour. 8 o'clock hour in New York is next.